Well, let me tell you a story about a man named George Mueller. He was a man who housed and fed thousands of orphans in 19th century England. But remarkably, he did so by prayer and faith alone. He never asked for money of anyone. Instead, he prayed and trusted God to provide for every need in every circumstance because he firmly believed that God always provides for his own, even if that provision comes in unexpected ways. And his diaries are chock full of stories of God's never-failing provision for his orphans. One such story is recorded for us in Roger Steer's biography of the man entitled George Mueller, Delighted in God. It's a $10 read on Amazon, if you're interested. And it goes like this. One morning, Mr. Mueller entered a long dining hall. The plates and bowls were on the table, but they were empty. There was no food to be found. And worse yet, no money to buy any. Yet the children were all standing by their chairs awaiting breakfast. At that moment, Mr. Mueller announced to everyone, Come, see what our father will do. Then lifting his hand, he prayed, Dear Father, we thank you for what you are going to give us to eat. And according to the account, a knock was then heard at the door, and a baker was standing outside who said, Mr. Mueller, I couldn't sleep last night. Somehow I felt you didn't have any bread for breakfast, and the Lord wanted me to send you some. So I got up at two in the morning and started baking some bread. I hope you have need of it. Mueller thanked the baker and praised God for his care. Then right after that, there was a second knock at the door. This time, it was a milkman whose milk cart had broken down outside the orphanage. And he was wondering if anyone there could relieve him of his load of fresh milk so he could get his empty milk wagon repaired. That morning, those children saw what their Heavenly Father could do. And this morning, we shall see what our Father can do too. Indeed, what he's already done. As we examine a similar story from the pages of Scripture. So turn with me to the book of 1 Kings and let's read chapter 17 together. I'll go in bite sized chunks. We'll start in verse 1. Now Elijah, the Tishbite of Tishba in Gilead, said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. Now, who is this Elijah? The place he is from, Tishba of Gilead, is unimpressive. In fact, there is no one else described as being from this place in all of Scripture or in all of any other literature for that matter. No one knows where it's at. So based on his pedigree, you would say this Elijah must be a nobody from nowhere. 
but not so fast. This nobody's name means my God is Yahweh, Eli, my God, Jah, short for Yahweh. He's called, my God is Yahweh. And my God is Yahweh stands before the one true God of Israel and presumes to speak for him. In fact, this man calls for something only God can do. He calls for the rain to stop falling and the dew to stop forming except by his word. And as the story progresses, we find out that the dew and the rain do stop for a whole three and a half years. This kind of shows that Elijah was a genuine prophet and a spokesman of the Lord. Now who's this other guy, this Ahab he's speaking to? Well, Ahab is the reigning king of Israel at the time. And according to the writer of 1 Kings, he's not a very good one. If you actually look back at how he's described a few paragraphs before in chapter 16, you'll see that Ahab calls for Israel to worship a whole host of false gods who are fake, phony, and powerless. And that doesn't please the Lord, because these are his people meant to worship him. In fact, verse 16:33 of 1 Kings sums up Ahab perfectly. Ahab did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. Not a very good guy. So perhaps this lack of rain upon the land of Ahab was warranted. Disobeying the Lord invites his judgment. And in those days, the lack of rain was a much bigger deal than it is today. Everything that was eaten needed a steady supply of rain to grow. If there was no rain, there was no food. You couldn't eat out at a restaurant like we do today. You couldn't run to the grocery store to restock your pantry. Instead, you went hungry and you foraged about for whatever you could find that was edible just to stay alive. So the lack of rain presented a huge problem, not only to Ahab, but to everyone dwelling in Israel at the time. Everyone would soon face hunger and starvation. Everyone, including God's own people and God's own prophet, Elijah, would experience these scary circumstances. But how could God let that happen? Doesn't God always provide for his own? Let's return to the text and see. Verse 2. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah, Depart from here and turn eastward, eastward and hide yourself by the brook Kareth, which is east of the Jordan. You shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. He went and lived by the brook Kirith, that is, east of the Jordan, and the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat 
in the evening, and he drank from the brook. So God did provide for Elijah. Not only did he provide water for Elijah to drink, he provided food for him to eat twice a day. But the food came in a most unexpected way. The text says God commanded the ravens to feed Elijah. And God would have to command ravens to do such a thing because left to their own bird natures, they would never do this. Our text says the ravens brought him bread and meat twice a day. Now don't think of this bread as an oven-baked loaf or the meat as a tenderloin steak cooked medium rare. When the text says bread, it's referring to edible foodstuffs like grain, seeds, berries, and nuts, whatever the ravens could find. And when it says meat, it implies any source of protein that the ravens could find in the wild, either dead or alive. You see, Elijah ate whatever God had the ravens provide. He really didn't have a say in what he ate. He couldn't select his preferences on the Ravens Eat app. If the Ravens brought him grasshoppers, that's what he ate. If they brought him mice, that's what he ate. And via God's faithful provision, Elijah survived day by day, camped out in the wilderness. And so it is with us. God faithfully provides for our needs as they arise as they arise, when we need them, but not always according to our preferences. Now back to our story. We're in verse 7 now. And after a little while, the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. That makes sense. No rain, water dries up. Verse 8, Then the word of the Lord came to him, Elijah, Arise! Go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I've commanded a widow there to feed you. So he arose, and he went to Zarephath. Um, Zarephath is about 85 miles away. That's about the distance between here and Payson. So just imagine that walk. Behold, I've commanded this widow to feed you. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Bring me a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to bring it, he called to her and said, Bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And she said, as the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I'm gathering some sticks and that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son and that we may eat it and die. So you see, when this brook dried up due to the lack of rain, and Elijah walked his 85 miles to Sidon, and he found this widow in a tiny seaside village. When he got there, he found out that this widow that God said would provide for him didn't really have that much. 
She barely had enough to feed herself and her son. In fact, she only had enough for one meal. I had nothing but a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug, she tells the prophet. And once that ran, runs out, I'll just starve to death. But the Lord had other ideas. When he commands someone to provide for his prophet, like he did here, he commands the widow, he enables them to do so. Just as the Lord enabled the ravens to do something they weren't inclined to do, so also he does with this impoverished widow. Look how it works out, starting in verse 13. And Elijah said to her, Do not fear. Go and do as you have said, but first make me a little cake of it and bring it to me, and afterward make something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent, and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. And she went and did as Elijah said, and she and he and her household ate for many days. The jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty, according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. Elijah was probably a little too eager to experience some fresh baked bread after months of bugs and berries in the wilderness. But regardless, the Lord again provided for him in a most unexpected way. The widow's jar was not spent and her jug did not empty from that first encounter with the prophet until the day the Lord restored rain to the earth. Day after day month after month, for several years. And these provisions weren't just for Elijah. They were also for the poor widow and her son, a pair of nobodies dwelling in a foreign country. Sidon is not in Israel. It's in modern-day Lebanon, if you're wondering. There was no reason, no reason in the text for us to know that this poor widow even knew the Lord or how to worship him because she's from a land of a false god. And there's something important to note about that because Jesus draws attention to this woman centuries later when he addresses a crowd of hecklers with this statement from Luke 4, 25 and 26. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. You see, the Lord not only provides for his own, but he also provides for those whom he is drawing to himself, to those whom he is in process of making his own. And such were some of you, weak and foolish in the eyes of the world, but he went after you nonetheless to make you his own. Which brings us to the most unexpected part of the story, Starting in verse 17, 
And after this, the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, became ill. And his illness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. That means he's dead. And she said to Elijah, What have you against me, O man of God? You've come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause the death of my son? And Elijah said to her, Give me your son. And he took him from her arms, carried him up into the upper chamber where he lodged, and laid him on his own bed. And he cried to the Lord, Oh, Lord, my God, have you brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I sojourn by killing her son? It's pretty clear this event caught Elijah by surprise. Notice he's crying in verse 20. Oh, Lord, my God, why? Why have you brought such calamity upon us? But the widow's response in verse 18 is even more telling. Look at what she said. O oh, man of God, you have come to me to bring my sin to remembrance. Have you done this? And to cause the death of my son? Bring my sin to remembrance to cause the death of my son? Why? Why does she mention her sin? not what I would probably do in that circumstance. What does her sin have to do with this? And who told her she was a sinner in the first place? Could it be that the spirit of the God of Elijah was at work in her heart, convicting her of her own unworthiness and of her wretched condition before the Lord? Somehow, she knew she was a sinner who deserved punishment. Somehow, she knew she deserved to die. But not her son. Why would God take the life of her son? Hold that thought as we read the final part of the story. Verse 21. Then Elijah stretched himself upon the child three times and cried to the Lord, O oh Lord my God, let this child's life come into him again. And the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah and the life of the child came into him again and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper chamber into the house and delivered him to his mother. And Elijah said, See! Your son lives. And the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God, and the, the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. God raised the widow's son unexpectedly. But rather than just speak a word as he had done so many times before, like he did for the ravens and the jar and the jug, this particular provision of raising the sun took some work. 
Elijah had to cry out and stretch himself upon the lifeless child three times before the Lord raised him from the dead. And, of course, when that happened, that certainly revived the widow's spirits as she declares in that final statement, Now I know that the word of the Lord is truth. But that's not all she needed. She needed more than just the resurrection of her son. She needed her soul to be saved from death. And that would take a much greater work at a much greater cost. One that she couldn't, she couldn't pay. It would take the death of another son the Son of God, to accomplish that. Think on this. The same God who raised the widow's son from the dead eventually sent his own son to live life as a man among us, to suffer temptation alongside us. Only God's son who was named Jesus, lived life flawlessly and entirely without sin. Of all the people who ever walked the earth, only Jesus did it the right way, fully pleasing to his Father. He did it so well that he didn't deserve to die. But God smote him anyway. He was pierced. for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And he was purposely cut off from the land of the living. He took our place when he died for our sins. But thankfully Jesus didn't stay dead. Just like the widow's son after three things, three days, God raised him, Jesus, from the dead, never to die again. And now, Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding for everyone who calls upon him and for those who someday will rise with him to dwell with him forevermore. So, as the new year approaches, Remind yourselves of what God has provided for you in Christ, both physically and spiritually. For God always provides for his own in just the right way, at just the right time, and usually in very unexpected ways. In 2024, let's see what God will do. Let's pray. Lord God, we are so grateful that you have sought us, that you have provided for us for years and years, some of us, for just a few months for some of us, but you're providing for us even before we ask of it, as you did for Elijah and the widow. 
and you're providing for us more than just food and drink and sustenance of life. You're providing for our greatest need. You've provided for our greatest need. Your son, your son died in our place to satisfy the requirement, the just requirement for our sin, Lord. We are so grateful for that. Let us never forget that. And for those of us who haven't recognized that, let them see their need, this greatest need, and let them call out upon your Son, seated at your right hand. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.